Please keep your Bible passages there at um, which is the time I just read for us from Matthew 2, verse 1 to 11. I'll just pray, then I'll uh, speak to you briefly. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Christmas. We thank you that we have an opportunity to be reminded of all that you have done through the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that you have come, lived the life we couldn't live, and died a death uh, we deserve. Help us, Lord, now to just reflect on these few words that you have to speak to us. Amen. If you had a Christmas uh, cancel button, if you could cancel Christmas, uh, just making the whole thing disappear, would you press the button? Uh, if you knew that if you canceled it, you'd still keep your holidays, would you still do it? Right? Well, according to a survey by Money Serving Expert, uh, 52% of us would press the button, uh, we would cancel Christmas. Uh, no more carols, no more presents, uh, oh dear. But uh, um, apparently the reason is that even though Christmas is a wonderful time of joy for many people, uh, it also brings a lot of financial pressures. And of course we have to remember that at Christmas time, not everyone is surrounded by loved ones. There are many people who are entering, who are celebrating Christmas uh, this season, who are lonely, who are by themselves. Uh, people have many struggles, perhaps, in their families. So Christmas uh, is not always um, a time of joy for many. So some believe it's just better to cancel it. Now, I'm guessing by the fact that you are here this morning, you do not believe that we should cancel Christmas. You. Uh, you believe that we should celebrate it, even though you may share some of these concerns that people have about Christmas. But it does raise an important question which we have been exploring here as a church, and the question is this, is the birth of Jesus worth celebrating at all? Would it matter uh, if the world simply forgot about the birth of Jesus? Would, life, would your life be better without Christmas? Well, to help answer this question, this Christmas we've been looking at how the first people uh, who witnessed Christmas, who witnessed the birth of Jesus, reacted to it. And this morning, I just want us to briefly look at the wise men or the magi and how they responded to the birth of Jesus. And we find their story in the passage Sister Tano read for us in Matthew 2, verse 1 to verse 12. Uh, there are three important truths we learn from this passage, which briefly I just want to share with you about what Christmas teaches us. And I think the fundamental truth it teaches us is that the king has come. And there are just three truths here that illustrate that. The first is that Christmas is about the king we need. That's what Christmas is about. What is Christmas about? It's about the king we need. It has now been, believe it or not, Two years since the events recorded in Matthew 1. Baby Jesus has been born, is now living as a toddler, and is with his earthly parents in Bethlehem. Mary and his stepdad, and the stepdad of Jesus, Joseph. Now, while he is in Bethlehem, our narrator Matthew tells us something amazing is happening. Something wonderful is happening in Bethlehem. While Jesus is um, in Bethlehem there, um, something, another amazing thing I should say is happening in Jerusalem, right? The ancient capital city uh, of Israel. A strange caravan uh, is making its way there. 
uh, and it's most likely this caravan is from Babylon, and it has rode into Jerusalem with, imagine with, imagine with typical Persian pomp, and it is carrying the Magi. We read this in verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, this is Herod the Great, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. These wise men sometimes are called the Magi. What has made these wise men to travel all the way from Babylon? Well, they have come to ask a burning question, a question that is on their mind. Look at the question in verse 2. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw Easter when he rose and have come to worship him. Now, I want you to imagine with me for a minute that you are a person living in this country, of course, and you travel to Moscow in Russia, to the Kremlin, and you start asking people, I hear you have a new leader here, right? He's more powerful than Vladimir Putin. I've come to work for him as the new leader of Russia and the new leader of the world. What would happen to you if you asked that question? <laughs> well, you know last a minute, I can guarantee you that. It is high treason and you'll be eliminated quickly by the KGB. This is what these wise men, the Magi, are risking. It is a dangerous thing to ask about a new king of the Jews when there's already a king. There are actually two kings. <laughs> because Israel is being ruled by the Roman Emperor Caesar from Rome, who was then appointed a puppet king, Herod the Great. And there are no job adverts being put around for a new king. The thrones are occupied. The Magi know this, right? But they believe a new king has been born, and this king is worth asking about, is worth risking being lynched. Because this new king who has been born is the king of kings. It is God who deserves worship. That's the question, isn't it? They say this, for we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Have you ever wanted something so wonderful, so beautiful, so powerful that you would risk everything for it? A couple of years ago, I read a story about a girl uh, who is training to go to Mars. And she has literally given up everything to just become, to enroll in this program where she can be trained one day to become the first person that steps on Mars. She has risked everything. And we see other young people, Greta Thunberg, quit school, I guess, for a while. Because she believes in, in, in this issue of, um, of the climate. So she's risked everything, so to speak, and uh, it's working out, I'm sure, well for us. So have you ever wanted something so wonderful, so powerful, so amazing that you'd risk everything for it? Well, the Magi believe Christmas is more wonderful than achieving our wildest dreams because it's about the God of the Bible coming as our king. The God of the Bible who created Everything out of nothing. You know, when a, when a, when a tomato eats a chalkboard or, or, or where the teachers use to write things in the classroom, the teacher will turn around, isn't it? If somebody eats the chalkboard, maybe a pencil or something, they will turn around and ask, 
Who did that, right? I'm sure teachers here uh, ask that. If it doesn't happen to you, that is great. But when it does, the teacher turns around and asks, who did that? Well, in the same way, this world with all its stars, its mountain, its ocean life, it forces us every day to ask, who did that? Who created that? And the Bible introduces us to the person who did that. Who created everything that exists? Right? And it introduced to this God, God our maker did that. That's what the Bible tells us. And the Bible also goes on to tell us that the person who did that, <laughs> we rebelled against him. He created us to live with him, but we have rebelled against God our king. The first human beings God created, Adam and Eve, he rejected the love of God. They did not want to live under his kingship. And all of us as descendants have been living like that. And because we have all rejected God as our king, we are all under the wrath and judgment of God. The Bible says we are all headed for everlasting punishment. Now, many of us feel uncomfortable by that. You might say, I don't believe in a God like that. Well, God must punish human beings for our sins. Because if he just turns a blind eye to our sin, we would never know how much we need him as our king. We know a parent is not very loving when the parent just turns a blind eye to the misdeeds of the children. A good, loving parent must punish the children who do wrong or corrective discipline. And we want God to punish sinners, don't we? Because what do we do then about Hitler? What do we do about those that are killing children around the world? What do we do about politicians that commit evil deeds all the time? No, we want, it. we want there to be final judgment, a final reckoning of God punishing those who do wrong. You see, God knows that left to ourselves, our conditions will be hopeless. But the good news of Jesus is that in his love, God has not left us to ourselves to simply suffer everlasting punishment. Christmas is God coming to be your king if you surrender to him. In the Bible, God, you see, promised that he would come as our king, the anointed one, or the Messiah, and he will come to not only reign over Israel, but over the world. And the Magi here in the story, they have been waiting for these promises to be fulfilled. They're not Jews, but they know, they've studied the Bible, they've seen that these promises also relate, are also for them. And they believe now it has happened this moment. God has entered our world. Jesus has been born. God has put on your skin to be your king. This is the truth of Christmas. Christmas is God saying to you this morning, I'm here to be your king. I want you in my life. I want us to live together forever. And God is asking each one of us here today, young and old, He's asking us this question. Do you want me as your king? Are you willing to surrender your life to me so that I can be in your life? Are you willing to do what the Magi are doing here? This is a question that no other person can answer for you. It's a question you must answer for yourself. Mom and dad can't answer it for you. Our wives cannot answer it for us. And 
Husbands can't answer it for you. You must answer this question for yourself. Do you want Jesus as your king? And you need to take it seriously because even though all of us know we need uh, Jesus as our king, many of us don't want him. And this is the second truth of Christmas. The first truth of Christmas is that Christmas is about the king we need. That's the good news. But there's a bad news to Christmas. And it is this, that Christmas is about the king we don't want. Let us rejoin the Magi uh, in this story. They are in a hurry to find King Jesus. And we can imagine they are knocking on every door as they, as they arrive in Jerusalem. They are knocking on every door, finding out information. Have you seen Jesus? Have you seen baby Jesus? Is there a new king that has been born? Do you know about him? Right? And as they are knocking on all these doors, people are worried. Right? And they are probably looking in their windows and they are seeing foreign beards. Right? And the Roman me in Jerusalem, I think, has just gone fever pitch. Because, you know, if you talk of a new king means war. They must be asking, how is this guy going to be a new king? Is war going to happen? Are we going to be fighting the Romans? And King Herod hears about it, and he's also worried. And you know, when politicians are worried, they know that they have a crisis on their hands. What do they do? Well, a good politician does what all good politicians do. Control the events by controlling the information. Control the events by controlling the information. And that's what we see in verse 3 to 6. Let's read that. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you are Bethlehem in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So Herod has got the facts. He knows that the new king will be born. The prophet in Micah has been told to him. And he realizes now there's a real chance that there's a Messiah coming. There's probably a Messiah has been born in his land under his nose. Uh, and so what is he going to do? Well, he decides to pull a fast one on the Magi. Uh, let's read verse 7 to verse 8. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Now we know that Herod has no intention of worshiping Jesus. He wants to use these wise men to find Jesus so that he could quickly go there and kill our newborn king. And this, if you know about Herod, this is typical Herod the Great. He is, this is vintage Herod. He is a murderer who has killed his wife already and her two brothers because he suspected them of treason. He is at this time 70 years old. He is married to 10 women and he has an incurable disease. So Herod is losing control over himself, he's losing control over his family, and he's worrying now about the state of the kingdom. The last thing Herod wants to hear is that God is in town now. Right? He doesn't want Jesus as king. But you know what? As I thought about that, 
I realize that Herod is not alone. There is something of a Herod in all of us. Yes, yes, I know. This puzzles some of you sat here this morning. So I'm not like Herod. I don't have an incurable disease. Thank you very much. No, no, no. What I mean is that, yes, you don't want to cancel Christmas. I know that. Because you are here for the carols, right? And I pray that you come this evening for the carols by candlelight as well. If you wanted Christmas cancelled, you would not be here. But there is still something of error in all of us. Because ask yourself this. Is God in charge of your life? Have you truly surrendered your life to him? Have you surrendered to God your rights, your desires, your body, your family, your friendships, your money, even your Christmas presents? Will you surrender them once you receive them to God? Are you, as you sit here, can you say in your heart of hearts that you are willing for Jesus to be your king? Can you say that? Can you say that you are willing for your life to revolve around Jesus as the center of your life? Are you willing to do that? And then you say, I am willing. Then I ask you, are you growing in pleasing him above your desires? It's not good simply saying, I believe Jesus has been born. The Magi could have done that. They could have said, I believe Jesus has been born and stayed in Babylon. But they made the journey. Have you surrendered to him? If the answer is no to any of these questions, then you're not different from Herod. Yes, you don't want to kill Jesus, but frankly, you don't really want anything serious to do with him. Because like Herod, you are living independent of God. You're doing God on your own terms. And that means a heart change hasn't taken place in your heart yet. You have not yet been born again. Because being born again means you have new affections. You are growing in surrendering your life to God. And the problem with you being like that is this. I'll tell you what the problem is. Jesus didn't leave all his glory just to, for you to come and reject him just like that. The problem with living like that is that if Jesus is not your king, you cannot have his blessings. You cannot have life with him. Oh yes, you can, you can find the preacher who will tell you you have life with him, but the truth of the word of God is that unless your faith is like that of the Magi, it is not true faith. It is not true faith. And the problem with that is that it's not simply that you don't have God now, it's that by you continue refusing to surrender to Jesus, you have placed yourself under everlasting punishment, or you've kept yourself there, and you are headed to hell forever. That's the bad news of Christmas. The bad news of Christmas is that God loves his son so much that he must punish those who reject him as king. But God does not want that for you. He wants you to follow the example of the Magi. He wants you to worship the king. And that is the final truth of Christmas. So, what did I say Christmas is about? I said, first of all, Christmas is about the king we need, right? Secondly, Christmas is about the king we do not want. That's the bad news of Christmas. 
But here is the final truth about Christmas. Christmas is about the king. We must worship. We must worship him. The wise men have heard from the king, right? And they resume their journey. And with God's help, they soon find their way to Jesus' house. Let's read verse 9 to verse 11 on him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, verse 9. And behold, the star they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. How should we respond to the birth of Jesus? Well, we must react like these wise men. The Magi are looking at God robbed in human flesh, right? They're looking at this baby. And the glory of God forces them on their knees. They bow down and worship. And you know, we know the worship of the Magi here is a real thing. It is authentic. How do we know that it's from their hearts? But we know from their hearts because actions speak louder than words. Let's read on. Verse 11. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts. God and frankincense and myrrh. You see, by giving Jesus these costly gifts, the Magi are saying our wallets agree with our hearts that Jesus is king. They are saying our wallets agree with our hearts that Jesus is king. They are saying we have found the true treasure. And no earthly treasure now matters to us. We are willing to surrender all our earthly treasures to Jesus. And I thought about this and I asked myself, I wonder what must be going on in the minds of Mary and Joseph as they witness these foreigners crowding the house and worshipping Jesus like this. I imagine there must be tears of joy in the eyes of Mary as she thinks of the angel Gabriel. Joseph must be crying out as he thinks of all his initial unbelief. He now realizes that it is worth it. It has all been worth it. Their boy, he's the king of kings. And I think their joy must be mixed not only with fear. There must be fear there now, reverence. They now realize that God is in the room. Mary at that moment realizes she's holding in her hand God. And the world has come to worship God. Jesus as their king. Imagine being in the room with Mary, Joseph, and Jesus and the wise men at this moment. Imagine being in the same room as God, breathing the same air he's breathing. What would you do in that moment? This is a question that Christmas asks all of us. Because you see, God has come to be your king. He has come in your world, in your room. How are you responding to him? How should we respond to him? We must worship him, isn't it? And worshiping God is not simply words. God wants your heart. He wants you to surrender your heart 
to him. Jesus wants to be your savior. The Bible says for us to be with God, someone perfect must die in our place to pay the penalty for our past, present, and future sins against God. And only the death, and the only death that God will accept for your sin is a death of someone who's completely perfect, who's fully human. Because you're a human being, you've sinned against God, so somebody human has to die for you. But also it has to be somebody who is God. Because your sins against God, you see, they've exacted an infinite penalty. God is infinite. So how are you, a human being, going to repair an infinite offense? Only God dying for you can meet that demand. So you need somebody who's fully God, perfect, and somebody who's fully human, perfect. And this, this, this blood of the God-man can then save you. And the good news of Christmas is that God came that first Christmas to meet this requirement as one who's fully God and fully man. Jesus alone qualifies to die for your sin. There is no other savior. Only this man, Christ Jesus. And as King Jesus grew up, he lived a perfect life. And when the time came, he allowed his hands and feet to be nailed for you to a wooden cross. And as Jesus died there on the cross, he carried the whole weight of your sin. He took it, he took it on himself. He took on himself the punishment you deserve. You know, just like a lightning rod on top of a tall building intercepts lightning strikes, protecting the people beneath. So Jesus was willingly struck by the punishment of God for your sin. So that if you take shelter in him, you'll be forgiven by God forever. Jesus died on the cross to be your king. This is what Christmas is about. It's about God coming to be your king, to give you a new relationship with him. But you see, to have Jesus as your king, you must surrender your life to him. You must turn from your life of sin by asking Jesus to forgive you based on his death alone. Nothing else will do. Listen to me. Nothing else will do. You can listen to 50 more sermons. They will say the same thing. You must surrender to Jesus. And if you do that this very moment, your sins will be forgiven. You become a citizen of his kingdom. You have a new life with Jesus forever. I'm not talking about saying the sinner's prayer. I'm talking about the movement of the will. You making that decision. I have now surrendered to Jesus forever. Do it today. Come to him. Now maybe you've already surrendered your life to Jesus. You can look at the Magi and you see some of their devotion. You can see some of their art change. You can look back, see how God has changed you. You can look at yourself and say, yeah, I not only worship God with my words, I worship him with my substance. Everything about me has surrendered to him. Yes, there are still problems, but I'm growing in surrendering to him. I know for sure that a new heart has been given to me. Well, if that's you, then the message of Christmas to you is the same. Keep worshipping him. 
And you need to be reminded this Christmas, huh? you know, there's a tendency for many of us at Christmas time to switch off. But Christmas is a wonderful time for us to be reminded of the gospel that saves us. And it's a wonderful time for us to be reminded of what true faith looks like. Because what does true faith for you look like? What does it mean for you to live as a Christian every day? It means every day making that journey from Babylon to Jerusalem to Bethlehem. It's every day giving up everything for Christ. You know deep down that Jesus is your greatest treasure. And yet you can look at your life that sometimes you forget that he's the only one you need. Sometimes you try to be like Herod, don't you? You try and balance Jesus out. You try, try and manage him. You're trying to build your own little kingdom within God's kingdom. The world is trying to make you do that, doesn't it? It's trying to shape you into its mode, so to speak. It's trying to make itself the priority over your life rather than Jesus. For this Christmas, let the love and devotion of the Magi encourage you to come afresh to Jesus and lay down everything before him. Tell Jesus, yes, you are my king, and I love you very much. And I commit going forward, especially in 2020, to live only for you beginning today. Ask him to help you do this with joyful obedience. Amen.